0: Good morning and welcome to episode 11 of Bitcoin and Uh, this morning we're just going to do some uh, Bitcoin vital statistics and then I've got a little bit of a morning roundup of some of the stuff that's going on on Twitter uh, over the last couple of days. I'm going to read you Marty's bent. Newsletter, the Optech newsletter number sixteen, and then I'm gonna try to insert a bad joke. So let's get right into this thing. Uh, Bitcoin vitals. This is from BitInfoCharts.com, and looks like right now, and it's about 10:40 uh, um, Central's. Central Daylight Time. Price of 1BTC uh, is $6,567. Uh, Bitfin, yeah, there's a pretty decent spread here. Bitfinex has got it at 6,587. Hit BTC, 6,597. GDAX is 6,500, Bitstamp is 6,500, and Gemini has it at 6,498. So there's, I don't know, $70 spread or so. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> the number of transactions in the last 24 hours is 2,300, and yeah, 238,000. Average transactions per hour is about 10,000 Bitcoin sent over the last 24 hours is down. Uh, it's eight, 881,000 BTC. Uh, average cent uh, per hour is 36,700. Uh, average transaction value is um, down quite a bit, 3.7 BTC. And... The Block time holding steady at nine minutes fifty-seven seconds. Uh, block size is s- oh under under a meg, uh, seven hundred forty-four point nine kilobytes. Uh, blocks last twenty-four hours, one hundred forty-five blocks, and the difficulty or the uh, hash rate over the last twenty-four hours has increased by. Uh, 10.64% to 51.4 exahashes. All right. Okay, so there's the Bitcoin Vital Statistics for the day. Again, that comes from bitinfocharts.com. And we're going to get right into my tweet deck and look at what I've got going on for uh, today. And I want to start out with... um, Mr. Hodel's tweet at Mr. Hodel, M-R-H-O-D-L, says, great news at Bitcoin Core underscore. Merchants are leaving Bcash for Bitcoin Core Coin. And he has a uh, the link to the uh, Reddit, uh, <clears throat> the subreddit for BTC. And this is actually, I don't know, this is kind of wild, man. This this dude just, it's like he just threw down a glove. And uh, the, it's a post by uh, NXTCHG, who is reportedly one of the big uh, Bcash developers. Um, and he says, <clears throat> public service announcement, if canonical transaction ordering is implemented in November, I will be leaving Bitcoin Cash. So CoinMix and all my other projects will be affected. So he says that uh, CoinMix.to will be closed and moved to Bitcoin Core Chain. So you need to withdraw your money from CoinMix wallets before the fork. Uh, TradeOnIC.com will be released on Bitcoin Core Chain. TSBW Bitcoin Cash version will f- will work until I sell all my remaining BCH coins and then permanently closed. You need to save your private key or move your money. Also, the GitHub repo will be deleted. So copy it if you need it. Good God. Uh, Backit.cash will be switched to Bitcoin Core with a different domain name. SteamBot key market will be permanently closed. So you need to withdraw your balance before the fork. Tipper stats... um, will be permanently closed. Bitcoincash.vote website will be permanently closed. Donator.cash will be permanently closed. It's sad to see Bitcoin Cash fail to transition from a private to a public coin, but so be it. And as you might imagine, the uh, comments are on fire. Um, Like the very first one says something like... um, uh, no, not the first one. Uh, I saw one earlier where it was saying uh, uh, somebody had, had had replied, "Is this a threat?" and it, and it just goes it goes dismal from there. Um, yeah, this, here it is. Jonas underscore eight says, "Is this some kind of threat or something?" Um, if it gets activated, it's because miners, developers in the community wanted, wanted it to, not because it's a private coin. And, yeah, it's just, you, as you might imagine, this is probably just going to descend into, like, the ninth circle of hell, you know, flame-wise. So, anyway, major developer of, of Bcash is, is throwing down the glove. So, there's that. Where else? In... Okay, so next up is uh, Yassine. Yassine Elmond. I'm going to butcher this poor dude's last name. Sorry, Yassine, but um, it's uh, at Ark, @yassineark, Y-A-S-S-I-N-E-A-R-K on Twitter. <clears throat> and he's talking about, um, he's got a, a fairly large... Um, thread about Samurai Wallet and Gotenna, um, and let's see if I can get through. Yeah, this is this isn't all that bad. Okay, so let's start at the top, and I'm just gonna read this to you. It, <clears throat> one, TX Tenna, an application of mesh networking with Bitcoin transactions, is on the horizon thanks to Samurai Wallet and Gotenna. This is super exciting, but what does it mean exactly? an intro to Mesh Networks and Gotenna. I've I've been waiting for something like this for a while. Two, to understand Mesh Networks, let's first break down how they differ from typical network architectures. Your everyday devices, phones, computers, routers, etc., are commonly set up under a hub-and-spoke architecture. The name effectively reveals what that means. The nodes on the network, spokes, are all connected to a single center hub. This hub serves as the access point through which all devices on the network connect to all other devices. Four, in a mesh network, the architecture is not as, sorry, as clearly defined. Nodes are peers, which means there is no special base station node. Data can be forwarded via a chain of peer nodes as long as each node is within range of the preceding node. These five. These nodes can take many forms, including wireless routers, cell phones, and radios. They just need to be able to send and receive data. GoTenna Mesh's hardware is a one watt ultra high frequency radio six to send and receive data across the mesh network nodes determine optimal routes through the network's routing protocol these protocols automatically reconfigure the network based on the environment and presence of relay nodes more nodes equals more pass equals stronger network got seven gotena's mesh networking protocol aspen grove starts with initial discovery A user sends a message out in all directions with the intent of finding the intended recipient. If the intended recipient isn't in range, a burst broadcast goes to all devices in range asking for intended recipient's whereabouts. Eight. Once relaying a Gotenna Mesh – I'm sorry. Once a relaying Gotenna Mesh confirms that it can reach the – We're just going to call it IR, the intended recipient. The path to the IR will be defined and remembered. So messages between the original sender and the IR will follow the same path. Nine, what about privacy? If a message is going through multiple users, what stops a relaying user from capturing that transmission? Okay, well, when a data packet is sent... It is sent to a specific destination. Only the IR holds the key to decrypting the transmission. Relayers don't. 10. So, what does this mean for Bitcoin? This means that existing network infrastructure does not need to be in place for nodes to interact. TX10 will enable off grid broadcast of signed Bitcoin transactions from Samurai Wallet. This is huge. God knows I agree. Um, 11. Mesh networks can host their own servers, so their users can communicate and exchange info across the mesh network itself without being connected to the larger Internet. This helps with local censorship, privacy, and security. 13. How does an offline transaction work with... Txtena. When GoTenna Mesh pairs with your phone, Samurai Wallet will generate a prompt to use TX Tenna. The transaction will broadcast over the network until it reaches an online TX Tenna user up to 3 hops away. Through the 14, through the online tra- TX a user, transactions are confirmed on the Bitcoin blockchain in a private Confirmation message is relayed back to the original TX10 user. Fifteen. Long story short, you don't need the internet to use Bitcoin. And then he's got um, his last tweet on this tweet storm number sixteen has some uh, 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 links to videos and, and and whatnot like that. But uh, this is a really good it's a really good thread. There's only one thing that that I don't agree with what he says here. You don't need the internet to use Bitcoin. Somebody at one point or another is going to have their Gotenna is going to, it's going to have to be connected to the internet to relay the Bitcoin transaction that was sent across the mesh network to mainnet. So there there's going to have to be some kind of on ramp somewhere. But still, this is this is this is a huge thing. Now I had. Um, when this starts this whole thing started coming out and by the way i i agree with a lot of people that suggest that this is being criminally underreported this is huge news this is a big deal we i've been waiting for it for for three years and um now that it's here i'm super excited about it so one of the things that i, I did tweet back to um uh, one of the samurai devs a question that said you know basically it was like well you know what about lightning and the answer that i got back was that it doesn't matter in in what he was trying to impart was that if you can get that if you can get uh gotenna to transmit anything then anything can be transmitted so really the only the only um Uh, The only thing holding the Lightning Network back from piggybacking on um, mesh networks through Gotenna is, at one point or another, someone like Jack Mallers, who's too busy now anyway, and I I can't do it because I'm not a developer – but if somebody can grab a hold of some goTenna stuff it then it will be a you will be able to transmit lightning use lightning network on on the goTenna mesh it's just a matter of time as to when that thing's going to be built out but you know hold on to your hats boys and girls because this thing is this thing is starting to really really cascade all right so that's it for your scene and then this morning um, the last tweet that I've got for the morning roundup is, and I mean this sincerely, this is an oh my God triple face palm issue from yobit.net and at yobit exchange. So, yobit tweets this thing that all, oh, it's just, it, it it's poor little, poor little tweet is just be is good just getting savaged in the comments just savaged and and well-deserved savagery i should say because here's what they say yo bit pump in 22 hours and then they give a um, a link to the timer we will buy one random coin for one btc every one to two minutes Ten times, parentheses, total buy amount, ten BTC. Close parentheses. Now, I can't. I I just can't envision a better way to beg regulators to come find me and regulate the living crap out of me. I mean, I don't even. I I I hope. That their Twitter got hacked and this is just totally bogus because if this is real dudes man no absolutely not that this is wrong on so many on so many levels and it's not that I want regulators to regulate them but regulators are going to regulate what they can regulate and this is I mean there everything about this is just just screams. We, we are um, committing financial fraud so i uh, everybody pull your pull your crap off of yo bit go grab it get it get it away from there because god only knows what this is uh, other than just either either a hijacked twitter account or straight up incompetence or or They've been compromised. I don't know. But that's it for the morning roundup. Let's get on over to Marty's Bent. Okay, so our good friend Marty Bent. And if you are not following Marty Bent on Twitter, uh, you need to, at MartyBent. B E N T, uh, puts out a pretty much rough pretty much a daily newsletter of what he found, you know, interesting that day or the day before. And in this one, this one is, uh, for today, Wednesday, October the 10th issue number 336, our reward havings priced in and first thing up is he's got a couple of tweets, um, from Pierre Rochard. um, the Having are priced in argument hinges on a very loose definition of priced in. Yes, they are, quote, priced in if we adjust for hyperbolic discounting bias, illiquidity, and bounded rationality. So Saifedean Amas replies, also not priced in because 99% of Bitcoin's addressable market, the entire world, does not even know about halvings. Knowledge is discovered gradually and not given to everyone at the same time. Why efficient market hypothesis is academic nonsense. Okay, so here's Marty's bent on that. For some reason, there has been a lot of chatter on crypto Twitter about the effects of Bitcoin block reward halvings on price and whether or not they are priced in prior to or following the supply shock. For you freaks who do not know this, every 210,000 blocks, the amount of Bitcoin that a miner is rewarded for successfully adding a block to the chain gets cut in half. The initial reward was 50 BTC per block and has since been cut to 25 BTC. BTC per block and currently sits at 12.5 BTC per block as we sit at block 545,163. Once block 630,000 is mined, the reward will be cut again to 6.25 BTC per block. As we approach another halving, which is about a year and a half out, the great debate begins again. Are these supply shocks already priced in? Personally, I don't think so and it's a combination of two things. What Safedine describes in the above tweet that it's impossible to be priced in because most of the total addressable market doesn't even understand what Bitcoin is yet, let alone the supply shocks that are having events. And I would argue that people who are relatively new to Bitcoin and have an idea of the having events still don't understand the abruptness of the change. Unless you've been through one before, you don't really understand the FOMO that begins to spread as soon as the having occurs. The crunch is real, especially for miners and OTC desks that help miners liquidate the BTC. They earn. I believe that these entities start demanding higher prices to cover cost, and this couples with the market narratives of quote, the world is getting closer to a world where the 21 millionth Bitcoin has been mined, end quote, to create massive FOMO events in the six months to a year following the reward drop. At the end of the day, this is a silly debate in my opinion because, as Saifedean points out, information is never completely evenly distributed, so it may be impossible to have future events priced in. Nonetheless, I like to see people thinking about these things as they draw more attention to Bitcoin, but again, nothing anyone should waste too much energy on. Final thought, what do you think Bob Marley would be like if he... He were still alive. I think, Marty, that Bob Marley would be smoking a blunt and playing guitar and just basically be high as a kite and just enjoying life. That, that's what I think Bob Marley would be like. So, All right, that's it for Marty's Bent. Let's get to the Optech Newsletter. Bitcoin Optech Newsletter number 16, Scaling Bitcoin Special. This was from yesterday, October 9th, 2018. This week's newsletter consists entirely of summaries of several notable talks presented at the Scaling Bitcoin Workshop last weekend. Since there was very little to report in our usual action items, news, and notable code changes section, we hope to return to our usual format next week. Workshop Summary, Scaling Bitcoin 5... Tokyo 2018. The fifth Scaling Bitcoin conference was held Saturday and Sunday in Tokyo, Japan. In the sections below, we provide brief overviews to some of the talks we might think that we think might be most interesting to this newsletter's readers, but we also recommend watching the complete set of videos, link provided provided by the workshop organizers or reading the transcripts link provided provided by brian bishop for convenience at the end of each summary we directly link to its video and transcript and paper if available talks are listed below in the order they appeared in the workshop schedule warning the following summaries may contain errors due to many of the talks describing subject well beyond the expertise of the summary author First one up adjusting Bitcoin's block subsidy. This talk makes an intellectual inquiry into whether Bitcoin pays more for security than it needs to and what we could do if we decided it does pay too much. The speaker makes clear that he's interested in considering the questions and providing possible answers, but that he's neither suggesting that there's a problem nor advocating for any solution. If the Bitcoin user base did think it was overpaying for security, the talk suggests options for reducing the amount of subsidy paid in the short term as the amount of security increases, but still ensuring that no more than 21 million Bitcoins are paid overall in subsidy, potentially allowing the subsidy to last much longer than currently expected. Although the talk was not about a specific proposal, an example proposal it evaluated was to reduce the subsidy by 20% every time the network's proof-of-work security Security doubles, measured by block creation difficulty. And then the links to the video in the transcript. Next one up. Forward blocks. On-chain capacity increases without a hard fork. The research by Mark Friedenbach. One well-known method for soft-forking an increase in the Bitcoin block size is extension blocks, a data structure that's invisible to nodes that haven't upgraded to the soft fork and so is not subject to their historic limits on their, Their historic limits on block size. By itself, this is an undesirable method for increasing blocks. ...increasing block size because preventing old nodes from seeing the transactions in the extension blocks also prevents them from being able to enforce any other consensus rules on those transactions, such as rules that prevent a malicious user from spreading or spending other users' Bitcoins or from creating more Bitcoins than allowed by the 21 million Bitcoin subsidy schedule. However, one doesn't need to increase the block size to increase the amount of data that can be added to the blockchain per minute... It's also possible to increase capacity by increasing the frequency of blocks, reducing the average time between blocks. A method for gaming Bitcoin's difficulty adjustment algorithm called a time warp attack is well known among experts and has been used successfully in demonstration attacks against Bitcoin's testnet and real attacks against altcoins. Note although bitcoin is technically vulnerable to this attack it'd be a slow attack that would give the user base a significant amount of time to respond by itself increasing block frequency is also an undesirable method for increasing capacity because shorter block intervals increase the effectiveness of miners with large amounts of hash rate and so is likely to increase mining centralization Perhaps disproving the saying that two wrongs don't make a right, this talk describes a novel way of combining extension blocks and the Time Warp attack to allow both upgraded nodes and old nodes to gain the same capacity increase and see all the same transactions for validation while simultaneously slightly reducing mining centralization risk. Upgraded nodes would validate one or more extension blocks called forward blocks that provide additional block space with a centralization reducing 15-minute Average interval. But the upgraded nodes would also restrict the timestamps in legacy blocks to ensure a permanent but limited time warp attack increased the frequency of legacy blocks enough to allow them to include the same transactions that previously appeared in the forward blocks. And then the, there's a link video transcript and the paper. Next up compact multi signatures for smaller blockchains. Research by Dan Bona, Manu. Dridgers and Gregory Nevin. Sorry, Manu, I butchered your last name. This talk describes an alternate, an alternative to the Schnorr signature scheme described in the Multisig paper that makes use of pairing-based cryptography, specifically. An adaptation of the bone lin Sockman BLS signature scheme. Although pairing-based schemes require an additional fundamental security assumption beyond those made by both Bitcoin's current ECDSA scheme and proposed Schnorr scheme, scheme, The authors prevent evidence that their scheme would produce smaller signatures in general, allow non-interactive aggreg- signature aggregation, and make it possible to prove which members of the set of signers actually work together to create a threshold signature. Sounds interesting. Next up, Accumulators. A scalable drop in replacement for Merkle trees, researched by Benedict Buns or, or Bins, Benjamin Fish, and Dan Bone, <clears throat> or Bona. In Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, scalable commitments to sets of information such as transactions or UTXOs are normally made using Merkle trees that allow proving an element is a member of the set by generating a proof whose size and validation cost is roughly log to parentheses n for a set of n elements this talk described an alternative method based on rsa accumulators that provides potential benefits the size of a proof is constant no matter how many elements are members of the set and adding or removing elements from an accumulator can be efficiently batched eg one update per block Next up, Multi-Party ECDSA for Scriptless Lightning Network Payment Channels. Research by Connor Formnecht. Routable payment channels such as those used by the Lightning Network currently use multiple opcodes from the script language that are enforced by Bitcoin's consensus rules. Previous work on Scriptless scripts by Andrew Polstra has suggested that some or all of the opcodes currently used could be replaced by Schnorr public keys and signatures that would be created privately off-chain between the participants in the payment channel, consensus rules would still require that a spending transaction have a valid signature that referenced a known public key, but none of the other security-related information would appear on-chain. Reducing data consumption and fees, improving privacy and fungibility, and potentially improving security. Bitcoin doesn't currently support Schnorr signatures, and no complete design for it has been proposed, although such a proposal may not be far off. So this talk describes proof-of-concept results from a partial implementation of payment channel scriptless scripts that's compatible with Bitcoin's current ECDSA keys and signatures. Some impressive savings are achieved in the size of scripts and witness data, savings which increase the number of channels that can be opened or closed in a block and which reduces the amount of transaction fee paid by users of Lightning Network payment channels. Next up, discussion. The evolution of Bitcoin script. A two-hour discussion group focused on this topic mentioned a large variety of proposed changes to Bitcoin script language. Far too many to mention here, even in summary. However, a few changes were mentioned as theoretically possible to accomplish in 2019 if the community is willing to adopt them. Bullet point. Schnorr signature scheme. An opt-in feature providing smaller signatures in all cases, faster validation, much smaller public key and signature data for cooperative multi-sigs, and easier compatibility with scriptless scripts. See Peter Woolley's proposed BIP. And there's a... uh, a link to that. Sig hash underscore no input underscore unsafe. The ability to create spends without explicitly referencing which output you want to spend allows creating more efficient payment channels using the L2 protocol. That also makes it easy for each channel to support up to 150 participants. See BIP 118. Next uh, bullet point. Op underscore check sig from stack makes it possible to create covenants that restrict what outputs a particular coin can be spent to. For example, you could put a mandatory timeout of one week on spins from your cold wallet During the timeout, you could only spend the coins back into your cold wallet, but if you waited for the timeout to expire, you could spend the coins to any arbitrary address. This means that if someone stole a copy of your cold wallet's private key, you could use this mechanism to prevent them from spending your bitcoins by returning them to your cold wallet during the timeout period. Awesome. It was noted that some developers are opposed to enabling the simplest form of this opcode for fungibility reasons, although alternative approaches may be accepted next bullet point fixing the time warp bug a set of miners controlling a majority of the hash rate can can currently manipulate Bitcoin's difficulty adjustment algorithm to allow them to consistently create more than one block every 10 minutes even without increasing overall hash rate there's at least one simple proposal to reduce the amount of manipulation possible without breaking older software or mining equipment see the recent email thread and that's a link ...on the Bitcoin dev mailing list. Next up, explicit fees... Currently, fees in Bitcoin are implied by the difference between the value of the aggregated inputs and the aggregated outputs. However, the transaction could alternatively, it could yeah, alternatively explicitly commit to the fee and allow one of the outputs to be set to the difference between the value of the aggregated inputs and the explicit fee plus all the other outputs. This could be useful for reward light rewarding Lightning Network watchtowers that send breach remedy transactions on behalf of offline users or it could be useful for fee bumping group transactions Okay, that's the end of the bullet point list he goes on however one member of the discussion group suggested that the only people who have comfort with soft forks are unlikely to propose a soft fork and produce software that would, would be adopted people are going to fight anything that adds anything especially considering the recent CVE Link to that People are going to be, for the next six months, significantly more conservative. It's going to be another six months before people are even thinking about it. I don't think we're going to get any new soft forks this year. And special thanks. We thank Andrew Polestra. or. Anthony Towns, Brian Bishop, and Peter Woolley for providing suggestions or answering questions related to the content of this newsletter. Any remaining errors are entirely the fault of the newsletters authors. And then there's a a couple of footnotes or or one footnote. So that will do it for Optech newsletter number 16. Now let's try something new. Let's try bad joke. What did I call it? I actually called it something. Yeah, Terrible Joke Corner. Terrible Joke Corner. Terrible Joke Corner. So, what did the fish say when he swam into a wall? Damn. I'll do it for episode 11 of Bitcoin. And this has been your host, David Bennett. Hope to see you on the other side real soon. You follow me at B E N N D 7 7 on Twitter. And from there, you can hop on to all the rest of my miscreant dealings. Other than that, we'll see you later.